You're listening to the Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. Hello and welcome to the Togetherings, hosted by the Alaska Humanities Forum. I am Amanda and I'm here with Simonetta. Hi, Simonetta. Hi. Today, we have the second conversation of a series in partnership with the Alaska Center about representation in Alaska, questions on leadership, equity, and inclusion. Today, specifically, we're going to explore representation at the polls. And before we start, a few words about the Alaska Center is a nonprofit organization here in Alaska, and their mission is to engage, empower, and elect Alaskans to stand up for clean air and water, healthy communities, and strong democracy. And we are recording in Anchorage, and we want to acknowledge that Anchorage is located on Denina land. And today, to talk about representation at the polls, we have two guests, uh, Margaret Perrin and Robert Kinnard. Hello. Thank Hi. you. Nice to be Hi. here. Thank you. Usually, we start a conversation by asking our guests, um, what's your connection or experience with the topic that we're going to explore today of representation at the polls? Robert, would you like to get us started? Sure. Um, it's something, uh, representation at the polls is something that I've always been really passionate about. Um, since the age of 15, um, voter engagement has been something that I've been very involved in. With the NAACP, I got involved with the NAACP Youth Council when I was 15 years old. And just from that historic piece of the civil rights 1965, um, knowing that people died so that I could have the right to vote. It wasn't a guarantee. It was something that took thought, blood, sweat, tears. People were beaten. People protested. People had to take literacy tests. So I don't take voting for granted because my vote matters. Our vote matters. And if we want changes, we have to come out to vote to make sure that the people who represent our interests are there and represent and on that. And so that's something, voter engagement has something that I've always been very inclined and engaged with. And then also wanting to just make an impact in my community as well. Not only did I want to, uh, do I see civic engagement as voting as the one key core thing that can we can do to hold our elected officials accountable and to represent our interests, but how can we get involved and in to make that difference? Um, I've also been a, I'm also a two-time school board candidate as well. And um, my last school board race, I lost by 35 votes. So 35 votes, I understand the importance how every vote matters to the effect that the next day after the election, I received about 70 phone calls saying, Oh, if I would have known it was that close, I would have got out to vote. But because there was that thought like, oh, it didn't make a difference. And because those individuals didn't do their, that, that part of civic engagement, their civic duty, I ended up not winning that race. However, the person, I do want to put this out there that, that the person who I did lose to is doing a phenomenal job on the board as well. And I work with um, uh, that opponent as well, but it just in the nature of experiencing the process 
and what it takes to making sure that people are in positions to represent your values, that people can advocate on your behalf, that we can come together to make a difference. There's so much that is done through our elected officials who represent us. Thanks, Robert. Um, Margaret, what about you? What's your experience of connections? Oh, hi. Um, I'd like to introduce myself first of all. Um, my name is Margaret. I'm an environmental justice organizer here at Alaska Community Action on Toxics. Um, I am originally um, from North Dakota by blood, but I grew up in New Jersey on uh, Muncie Lenape land. I am Amanda and Hidadza. My kids are new back, and that's how I ended up here in Alaska. So thinking about my experience with voting, um, honestly, I didn't vote for a long time. I, as a Native American woman, I didn't feel like my vote mattered because of the um, experiences I've had personally. I was raised to be civically engaged um, in high school in New Jersey. We, we were able to sign up in, at 16 to, to register to vote. And that was really awesome because like I didn't have to worry about it. And it kind of like geared us up and started thinking us, making us think about being civically engaged. Um, so by the time I turned 18, I was already registered to vote because I had done it in high school. And um, it was something that my father really kind of instilled into us. And um, him being an Irishman, um, my, my grandparents being from Ireland and um, being a first generation American himself, voting was very important to him. And he really took the time to take us to vote and show us how to vote. And um, I was really grateful for that. Like I said, I was disenfranchised for a few years. Um, I didn't, I just, I don't, I don't know other, other, any other way to say it, except for I didn't feel like it didn't, it mattered. And honestly, it wasn't until Standing Rock, because, um, you know, Standing Rock is my ancestral land. I am a Mandan um, woman from, from the area, and we got pushed up further north, so our reservation is the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation, um, which is north of Bismarck. But where they were proposing the, where they're proposing, well, we have oil too, but, but that's a whole other issue. But what they, where they were proposing the, the um, well was on our ancestral land. And um, to see uh, my people being sprayed with water cannons in freezing weather uh, was, traumatizing and um to know that you know we had a president at the time so this is you know around christmas time we had a president at the time this is obama was you know he was still there so he was able to to do some things but i mean it still happened and obama was there right and then the next following year trump came into office and then just proceeded to just do whatever he wanted, regardless of what what we wanted. So, and you know, I hadn't voted, I didn't vote, you know, I didn't vote. And I, I remember my dad always saying, you can't complain unless you vote. Cause um, you know, like what, what I have, I had no right to say anything because I didn't, I didn't vote that year. 
And, you know, maybe if I had voted or maybe if I got a bunch of other people to vote, you know, that wouldn't have ha happened. Um, and also growing up in, in New Jersey, I watched the news a lot with my dad and I saw Trump on there a lot. And he really did not like us Indians in the 90s because we were, um, the Seneca Indians were trying to build a casino. And he was very vocal on how much he didn't like Native Americans. And he said some really ugly things about how, oh, they don't look Native or something like that to that effect. And I always remembered that. And so like to see somebody get into power that I knew I mean, that was going to do everything they could to to strip any little bit of rights that we have. Um, I felt like it was important that I had to do something because um, that's just one incident, but I know there's many others, you know, and um, it was personal to me because of uh, where I come from and who I am, but, you know, I have children. And I have um, a very brown native boy. And, you know, to see the civil disobedience being done by our police to our people of color is just frightening. Margaret, it's so great to hear your perspective and hear about you, um, listen to you talk about um, how you didn't think that your vote mattered. And that's something that I it resonates with a lot of individuals and people of color, especially a lot of people of color, especially younger people, our generation, do not vote because they're like, oh, my vote doesn't matter. And they feel like the, the, um, the political system is not in their favor. But what I, what I heard you say is, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to ever put words in your mouth either. But while listening to you, I heard that at one time, you didn't feel like your vote mattered. And then an, another person, uh, individual, another elected official was able to get in a position of power. And then you saw what that impact did. And so I feel like a lot of individuals don't understand that elections have consequences. And consequences can go either good consequences or bad consequences. But if we're not there at the forefront of voting, those consequences are just unknown. And we just don't know how the result or how the outcome could be based on we not making or making the decision to vote. If we're voting and getting the people who represent our core values and beliefs and holding our elected officials accountable, great. But then if we don't, and we just rely on others to make those decisions for us, those can be very detrimental for the society. And then once they get in that position, unless they do something that is very violation of their ethics, or they want to willingly resign, they're in there until their term is up. And a lot of constituents who elect our representatives, sometimes we just hear one thing that is appealing to people. Like, oh, and I'm just going to use this as an example, I'm going to get all the kids back in school. 
So if you want your all your kids back in school, yeah, that's who I'm voting for. Therefore, but you have to look at the values overall, not just being one single minded, one single factor is going to push that agenda. Or, oh, I'm going to give the entire X amount of dollars. Or, oh yeah, well, we're going to do this. That may or may not happen based on a promise that that candidate has made can determine whether or not they're elected, but other people um, who are, if we're not making informed decisions about who we're electing, that can also have a consequence. So I really like what you said, Margaret, about you not feeling like your vote, vote mattered, but then you saw the effect of how you didn't vote and then you got engaged. And we need more people to get engaged and get other people to the polls and the people who may not vote because there's so many people that we can reach and each person can reach different people. The people that I reach, um, Margaret may not be able to reach and the people that Margaret reaches, I'm not able to reach. So it's a collab it's a collective and collaborative effort to make it happen. Yes, um, thank you, Robert. That is definitely what I was, um, what I was trying to get at. That I, I've seen the consequences of of what happens when you don't vote. So I decided to vote, and then I decided that I was going to start knocking on some doors and try to get people to vote, because if if I could vote, and you know we. Honestly, I, I did this election protection program um, this, this past um, election day. And, and the reason, the big reason why I did it was because we, we I, I don't see me at the polls. I don't see the person that looks like me. So I, you know, wanted to maybe help other folks that, you know, had never even been to the polls before or didn't know what they were doing. So I did that. Um, and, and there is an, another bigger reason why I, I started getting engaged. Um, and that is uh, because um, after working for the GOTV, getting out the vote stuff um, here at ACAT, knocking on doors, um, they started working on some legislation for flame retardants. And um, years ago, I was an intern here and they had taken a piece of my son's um, high chair and they tested it for flame retardants. And then we got the results and that was, that was a long time ago, right? And then as I was a door knocker after that campaign, I started calling people about the um, flame retardants because we had gotten it tested, we gotten the proof. And then that, that um, that bill that we had, um, the ordinance for Anchorage that we were working on got passed. And to see something go from, I got this tested many years ago because it might've had flame retardants to we got an ordinance passed, getting rid of these flame retardants in my city was huge. And to see that measurable change was really eye-opening. That's awesome that, you know, you 
just getting that activism and people not having that awareness that be, once you get involved, it takes people and, and we can do it. But like you said, the door knocking and getting people engaged, it, it takes some effort and it takes work. And um, I'm, I'm sure that our hosts, Amanda and S S Simone, they know what it, the work that they put in and different organizations that put in, not only organizations like these, not only these organizations, a native movement, the NAACP, the, the, labor, the labor movement, the AFL-CIO, um, the educators, there's so many different components that make up efficacy. And, and, it, and it takes people, it takes organizing, it takes door knocking, it takes churches. Um, and even I'm grateful for um, the church I attend, I attend um, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. And my pastor, he doesn't tell us who to vote for, but we have events called Souls to the Polls. Just getting you to the polls, it matters, your vote matters. And having, getting and showing the effort, like we can do this together. It takes people to vote. And knowing who you're voting for, having, attending the candidate forums. This year was a different year uh, with the pandemic, but even it was very inspiring just to see candidates holding, hosting a lot of virtual events and uh, uh, forums via Zoom and televised candidate forums as well. But it definitely takes organizing, reaching out, to in order to get that outcome that you would like. And you don't, you may not get it all the time. Let's, and I'm just gonna be completely upfront. Each organization, what you're advocating for, you may not get it all the time. But if you don't get out and get to the polls and also encourage others to get to the polls, the burden's on you because we didn't put in the work. We didn't tell our friends. We didn't tell our family members, hey, this is important. This affects our children and our children's children. And this, is, this affects our elders. This affects our cousins. This, is, this affects our friends. So, um, and doctor, I, I really rely on this quote that Dr. King says, and it's not a very well-known quote, but what affects you, what doesn't affect you directly affects you indirectly. And that being said, it might not affect your job, but it affects somebody's job that you know. It might not affect your place of living, but it might affect your cousin or your friend. And so just because it doesn't affect me in this season, doesn't mean that it, it doesn't affect someone that, or someone in my community or your community that you're connected with. Just because it doesn't impact Robert, doesn't mean that Robert shouldn't be concerned about it because it impacts Margaret and it impacts Margaret's son. Robert, you mentioned in the beginning that you'd been civically engaged since age 15. 
Was there something in particular that happened that switched that light on? You know, it was just learning about the, his, the importance of voting. And after getting involved and just truly knowing and seeing, for me, it was actually seeing people who, a scarcity who actually represent my values. It actually knowing, okay, I've, I, I come from, I'm a person of color. I'm a, I'm a black male, African-American male. Uh, and I, my grandparents and great grandparents always didn't have this right. They fought for this right. There's people that they were connected to that were beaten civil disobedience from and for me not to vote that that's like a slap in the face for all the work that has been done generations before me and so that's where that light bulb clicked in with the NAACP and voter engagement and learning uh the true history of where we are today it has taken work and there's still so much work to do to end voter suppression. There's still so much work to do to get people to the polls. There's still so much work to do. So that's where the light bulb really clicked for me because you don't die for something that isn't worth having. And so when people die for the cause, you can't tell me my vote doesn't matter because somebody died because they understood that voting is important. They understood that representation matters and they understood that it happens with the people who are elected, the people who represent you and the initial process is representation at the polls. I wonder, uh, you mentioned uh, voter suppression and I'm curious to know from both of you if the kind of the misinformation about uh, electoral fraud or about uh, mailing ballots and various sort of misconceptions, if you see them as a long-term damage or something that it's more ephemeral and it was not that concerning. Um, but I, I think that, especially for the last elections, there was a lot of uh, talk about these two aspects and I'm curious to know what do you think? I actually wrote an op-ed about um, Senate Bill 39, um, which is Senator Shower's bill. And it's, um, it's, it's mostly a voter suppression bill in that um, they're trying to not allow the, the mail-in ballots. And from what I know, in my own experience in my communities and in my kids' communities is that a lot of the places that our native people live are very rural. And sometimes the only way to vote is by mail. To me, clearly that is saying that they don't want us to vote. Um, if you're trying to get, get get rid of the most accessible and easiest way to vote for people 
And these are people that are the most disenfranchised. You know, you're talking about people with no running water, no electricity sometimes. You know, how much they have to pay for, for food and heat and clean water. You know, it's it's ridiculous that 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 was even in there to begin with. Our leaders are supposed to help us. And they're supposed to, we elect them to to have to be our voice at the table that is why we elect our leaders we elect them to be our voice and if our leaders are not speaking for us then we need to elect new people because the poverty that is seen in a lot of the villages um i've seen in the reservations and it is not right that our First Nation people live in third world conditions in a country that we just use their resources. We're talking about resource rich people. They should have running water. They should have heat. They shouldn't have to pay thousands and thousands of dollars to heat their home, you know, or to get fresh vegetables like $10. $10 for a gallon of milk and that's cheap that's like not even at the, the that's at the low end and you know it's just really frustrating and the only way we can change that is to elect people that are going to speak up for those who don't have the ability or are too scared to speak up for themselves I, I I agree in um, 100% what you said, uh, Margaret. And I just want to um, take this opportunity to just give some common uh, misconceptions uh, because the question was addressed about the voter suppression. And so I want to first address that too. I believe that it's a scare tactic and that people are really the information or misinformed, really misinformed information. And like Margaret said, um, and I'm just going to use this as an example that we can all uh, hopefully relate to. So during the election, if um, but with the mail-in ballots and so forth, Alaska was the last, one of the last states to get every, all the votes counted. And uh, I have family down in the lower 48. At different places and they're like you guys have one of the smallest amount of people by population so why is it taking it so long for votes to get counted and i had to explain and give it was a it was a place of a, a point of education and say hey alaska's a little bit different there's a lot of village areas there's a lot of places that are only able to get their mail once or twice a week because the postal runs. So therefore, because it's so spread out, it takes a little bit longer to ensure that all mail is collected. And if it takes that long for all mail is collected, it's gonna take just the same amount of time to make sure that all votes are received. And they're like, oh, we didn't realize that it takes that long or the process, it's not this metropolitan uh, 
LA, California, where everything is just so, you can get everything so expeditiously, things take a little bit more time in Alaska because Alaska, there's different villages, different cities that are more spread out, that the resources, you're only able to be able to get the mail once or twice a week. And like what Margaret said, I feel like Margaret hit on some very key things because she said that $10 for a gallon of milk. Listen, I've never, and I'm just going to say this completely transparent. I've never been to, lived in the village, but I've been to some villages on the road system. And when I went to the villages on the road system, it was a complete eye opener to what Fairbanks or Anchorage or Juno was like, I said, $17 for a gallon of milk. Who is buying this? But then it made me think, oh man, there's people here that actually need this gallon of milk. And that this is their only resource to receive. And then in my mind, it clicked. Did the people who represent the places actually come out here to actually know what it's like to live? And they're making decisions about big financial on the resources that the people who are affected most by it. So it, it hit on a whole different level about who's representing you. Did they know, did they actually, are they familiar with what the lifestyle is or what the culture is like? Because I said, I, like I said, I've only been to villages on the road system, but being on those villages on the road system after four days just provided me a complete different perspective. I was like, oh, there's kids going to school on ATVs. Oh, there's kids that actually have to drive 45 minutes hour to get to the closest school. So who represents you just goes so much more into who's who you're electing, but also having that familiarity with the area that you're representing. And the voter suppression with the mail-in, back to the question at hand too, with the mail-in, um, that is a scare tactic that is being used to get people not to vote. It was put out before it even happened. And my thing, I really want to just hone in is things take work, things take refining, and nothing is perfect. Even technology, technology, it has its kinks. Some things are beyond our control. If things happen with the election, let, let's fix those laws that need to be refined to make the system work better. Rather than saying, oh, it doesn't, it's not gonna work, it failed. Well, what happened? Let's actually see that what, let's look at what didn't happen. Let's talk about how to make things better. If there is any things that errors or that come up, let, let, let's move forward from that. But to just discount and say, oh, it was stolen. Oh, it was rigged. On what basis? And what evidence do we have to go off of? 
Because if we don't have any evidence to support the claim, the claim is just the claim. So it's definitely a scare tactic to, um, to try to get people not to vote, get involved with the process, understand how it works. And like I stated earlier, civic engagement, the, the lowest level, the reasonable service is being represented at the polls. After the polls, you can be a poll worker, a poll watcher. These are the areas that this is us getting involved. This is how we fix it to ensure that accountability piece is there. I was really agreeing with everything you're you're saying there, Robert. Um, what what really just like sparked off an idea for me? I you had mentioned Native movement earlier, and a, another part of me being civically engaged is I I went to this like this decolonization workshop that they do. You know, if we're going to talk about changing the system, how about we change the Constitution? You know, um, you know, if if you read the, the Constitution or the, the Declaration of Independence, what is, isn't it the Declaration of Independence when they say we the people? And then like how many lines underneath it says uh, the merciless Indian savages? I don't know how much we can change unless we change that. I mean, it, it sounds really kind of radical and far off. But if we're talking about changing the system from the inside, why don't we start from the foundation and rewrite or right the wrongs of the past and do some real healing work on a base level? Because if we don't go to the ground in that work like that's what i envision hopefully one day so that we're not all fighting with each other because we're all one people regardless of age sex race class gender we are all one people and we all have to live on this land collectively and why don't we start taking care of it so it can start taking care of us again um and start taking care of each other I don't want to sound like a crazy radical kind of like person, but like that was a real eye opener. And I wanted to thank Ine and Shauna Larson, Ine Begay, for putting on that that uh, workshop and allowing me to be part of it because I found my voice again. Yes, and you know I'm glad that you were able to attend that. Um, and you and you brought out some great things, and um, like you said. Uh, sometimes we have to go back to the basics and let's go back to the basics to ensure that representation is there. And for me, I feel like, and this might sound strange, but I feel like voting for right now is a privilege more than a right for me as an African-American male, because if it was a right, it would be written in permanent law. Why do we still have to keep getting the Voters' Right Act renewed? And I don't think that a lot of people truly understand that the voters' rights has to be renewed every so often. It's not something, a permanent thing. People have, no, we have to, oh, Voters' Rights Act, we have to get this done. 
and and it's usually at a pressing deadline. So right now, although it is a it's con, I don't take it lightly because it is my right. But until it becomes a permanent law, it is it I foresee it at more as a privilege. Which furthermore, because I'm privileged to vote. I'm going to do it the more. But we have to get back to the basics of actually healing. And Margaret hit it on the head, the healing portion of it. And having even uncomfortable conversations that are with our elected officials. Because this, these are the things that affect different people in society, different di diverse groups of different backgrounds from um, Native American, Black, Latino, Asian American, white. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what race it is. Uh, we have to really come to the table and have these conversations in order for true healing to take place and restructure what has been broken. Um, Robert, you brought up something really quickly that I wanted to say, and I, I don't wanna be one of those persons that like reference bills and stuff, but there is a bill um, about, um, we keep talking about representation. And do you know in Alaska that, um, in Alaska the, that the government does not, um, state recognize their tribes? Alaskan tribes are not state recognized, which when I found that out last year, I was shocked because I grew up on the East Coast and there are tribes on the East Coast that don't have federal recognition, but they have state recognition. And you know what that means? They have a seat at the table with the rest of the state. You know what Alaska does? doesn't even acknowledge their people, their original people, the stewards of this land. I live on Dana Anna land and I am very grateful for the people that have stewarded this land so that I could come and do the healing that I needed to do so that I could be sitting here right now. And to, to understand that, you know, if, if they don't acknowledge them or recognize them, how are you going to have a conversation with people? Because they're not, they're not just tribes, they're nations. We're tribal nations, we, meaning that if we had a seat at the table, we could have nation-to-nation -nation conversations as opposed to Native people having to beg and ask and plead and do whatever they have. I mean, having a seat at the table from the from the gate or from the get go would be um, idea. I know a lot of I know a lot of tribal nations don't even want recognition because honestly, they've done it this long. Why? Why should? Why should they want our recognition? You know, after being, you know disregarded for so many years. If we really want to talk about representation, we need to we need to go deeper than just at the polls. 
There's a really interesting conversation, I think, happening underneath the representation question, right? Which is, if you want to encourage voting and you believe people should vote, that's also saying you have some confidence in the system itself. How, how is your relationship to the bigger system itself? I mean, Margaret, you've just taken us there a bit, um, but I mean, you both must have moments when you question, you know, gosh, the way things are set up, um, how, what is the best thing to do beyond voting to move the needle? Talk, talk to your reps. I mean, talk to your talk to your representatives, your district representative, your you have a district senator, you have a district legislator. Um, those are on top of those are besides, you know, our state senators. We we have 40 different districts and how many different Senate districts? We all have representation and um, get to know them um, because they want our votes. They want us to vote for them. So we might as well talk to them and find out what they're really about. And they're willing to meet with us. You know, you just call, it's amazing. You just call them up and they will meet with you. And don't be intimidated by, this is what um, my mentor and colleague Vi Walhi told me when I went to Juno last year. She said, don't be intimidated by your le our legislators. They work for you. Right, and um, I, I definitely echo what Margaret said. Um, it's not just the vote, it, it starts with voting. Voting is, being informed it starts with informed voting let me say that not just voting but informed voting vote responsibly vote your vote matters vote responsibly and get out the vote but that's a start it doesn't stop at the polls write letters talk to them make sure that they know who you are because if you don't make your voice known, it's almost your voice is silenced. So yes, on uh, during the municipal election, during the state election, during the local election, vote in every election because it starts locally. Those local dollars become state dollars and are impacted by federal dollars, but. What really needs to happen is through advocacy, what Margaret said, you have to talk to your legislators, call them, write them, testify about the issues that are concerning to you. Make your voice heard, getting, getting involved and not only with that, but also with your representatives, but getting in, involved in something that an organization that truly matters and fights for the cause. And there's a lot of organizations within the state of Alaska. Um, the, there's Native Movement, there's the Alaska Black Caucus, there's the NAACP, there's the AFL-CIO if you're a, a union member, there's different organizations and I'm, and I'm not advocating for one or over the other, but there's different organizations to just plug into that um, start organizing, uh, whether you're Republican, Democrat, independent, getting involved and start 
talking to people, start advocating for what you believe in. Um, and that's what it's all about. It's being an informed, educated voter, voting responsibly. Because if we don't do it today, we're just allowing our, the elected officials to make decisions on our behalf. They're working for us, but we're not really giving them much to work for. So they're not earning our money that we send them to whether the state legislature or the city council, the school board, your vote matters. And yes, um, Amanda, you had you asked something. There are times where it's just like, whoa, um, this decision, I, I really didn't like how this decision panned out. But how did we come to this decision? By who's elected into office? For example, whoever's in this uh, president, that determines the nomination of the Supreme Court, which, which determines how landmark Supreme Court decisions are made what, to deem whether or not they're constitutional or not constitutional. Our state legislators, they determine how much money school get or what or the formula for the PFD discussing that within our constitution. There's uh, pre-K education. There's, uh, I could go on and on about different issues and different topics, but these elected officials, the people who represent us are the people making decisions. And if we're quiet about it, if they don't hear us, we're not testifying. It's almost like giving your legislator a blank check to make that decision for you and saying it's okay. And it's almost inherently silent support because you're not speaking for or against you. So if you're not speaking about it, they perceive it as, oh, they don't have a problem with it. So this is the decision that I'm making. But if you say, well, I support this or I oppose this, this gives them a better perspective on how you feel about what decisions are being made. And they would take heed to that because you voted them in there. So beyond that, get involved. Even if it's like we've had a whole lot of civil unrest with uh, brown lives, black lives in the state of Alaska, it make your voice heard. It, it takes more than, I tell people this, it takes more than just protesting. After the protests, get involved in something. Come to a meeting. Go to a city council meeting, borough meeting. Volunteer with anybody. Write an op-ed. I wrote my first op-ed, and it was, like, published immediately. So um, it's it's amazing how, how far your voice travels when you actually use it. As we come to a close today, uh, we would like to ask you guys uh, if you have a question you'd like to leave our listeners with? I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, why, why do I do this work? I always think about my kids, and not just my kids, but maybe my future grandkids or my great-grandkids. And, you know, we're at, a, at this point with climate change where it's scary. And I always think about 
what my future grandkids would say. And I always hear them saying, you know, grandma, when all that climate change was doing, was, you know, going on and, you know, I, I always hear them saying, grandma, what did you do? You know, and I, I think that's the question I have for people. What did you do? So my question that I would like to leave you with is, since you don't like the system, what are you doing to make the change? Thank you so much. You both left us with really good questions, good food for thought. Thanks so much for participating in this conversation. And if you enjoyed these episodes, uh, other episodes in this series uh, are about representation at the decision-making table and representations in the conversation movement. And with that, thank you and see you later. This episode was funded by Why It Matters, Civic and Electoral Participation Initiative, administered by the Federation of State Humanities Councils and funded by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.